0: you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we'll be. I should take that back. That's where we will be primarily, but I'm going to be hopping all over the Bible today. I will have it up there, but also if you want to practice your, can you turn there really fast in the Bible, you're welcome to today. perhaps you can also call to mind one of those sayings that of Jesus that perhaps at one point or another was well known even beyond the church walls and perhaps most memorized in John 8:32 what does Jesus say and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free what do you think Jesus means by that. Freed from what? Perhaps like some of the people that Jesus is talking to, we get taken back by this statement of Jesus. We have never been enslaved to anyone. (laughs) John 8.33 would continue the story with, Some of those taken back by responding to him. How can you say you will become free? I wonder if some of you might be there. Some of you, this might be news or this was news. Even if you're a professing Christian, maybe you felt like you've missed this news. I need to be free, set free. I need to be made free. I need to become free And Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin takes prisoners. Sin enslaves. Sins from from day one has done nothing but hinder, enslave, and, and incarcerate. Think about this from a simple practical standpoint. Most people who happen to sin and feel guilt about it are already enslaved and controlled by it. How? Because of that sin, it weighs on them, and so they want to conceal it. And so already part of their, the joy in their lives is robbed from them. They're enslaved to keeping it. Adam and Eve, only two people in the world in the garden, and they sin. And so they hide from God. Only two people in the entire world. But because of that one sin and that one piece of guilt in a liberated, free, worldwide world, they feel compelled by that sin to hide. They weren't free in that moment. Sin takes prisoners. But it's Resurrection Sunday and I get to unfold to you what's all over the Bible about the remedy to this problem. I was drawn to how Paul unfolds to us this great and glorious truth in just two verses in Colossians one verses thirteen and fourteen. I invite you to stand one more time in honor of hearing the Lord's word today. So why don't you stand with me and let's read Colossians one thirteen and fourteen. Paul says He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to be together on this morning. The morning You rose from the grave, showing the entire world You are who you say you are. You have overcome sin. You have overcome the grave. Indeed, you have rescued us. Father, we thank you for the music we got to hear, the scriptures and the words that went along with it to touch our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for the scriptures we get to unpack now. I don't trust myself to unpack them well. I trust your Holy Spirit to do so. Holy Spirit, would you weigh heavily on our hearts? For those of us with hard hearts, Father, would you soften them? We want to be obedient to the things you call us to today. We want to hear your voice and not mine. Have your way among us. Help us to love and serve you well and to love and serve others well. Say what it is you desire to say and get me out of the way, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. He has rescued us. He has rescued us. A rescue has occurred. A glorious... Life-changing, world-altering rescue. And I can use those loaded terms when the hype is real. When the implications are true and accurate, a rescue has occurred. Have you ever been part of a rescue? Have you ever seen a rescue? One of, one of the stories that apparently fell through the cracks for me as I grew up, I kind of heard about but never fully fathomed, Maybe it was because it was just in one line in the history book. It never settled for me until recently. I've seen a show, a few shows and movies. I've watched the story of Dunkirk. Literally the greatest bulk of the Allied army in World War II enclosed on one tiny beach on the French coast, Dunkirk. The Germans closing in. World War II looks like it's going to end with a German victory. But the Allied Army is evacuated by a fleet of citizen boats and yachts. Under fire, lots of the Allied Army is saved and spared by that rescue. It seems to me that Germany's and Hitler's plans were evil to say it lightly. And what Winston Churchill's words on that rescue was a miracle of deliverance. Rescued. Other Bible translations would say he delivered us and he transferred, which evokes for Bible readers and Jewish hearers, another great and glorious rescue in Israel's past. Perhaps most towering from the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus. Exodus 6, 5 through 7 records for us God telling Moses, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people. And I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians. And with that, a colossal, unparalleled, unprecedented, unexpected rescue occurs. And the world's greatest empire at the time, Egypt, is forced to release their grip on a helpless, unarmed race of slaves. Israel had no army, Moses was no military commander, rather it was God and God alone who hits the Egyptians with ten supernatural acts of judgment, culminating in the death of their firstborn sons, and Israel is freed. A rescue is coming. And where it was the power-hungry pagan empire of Egypt that God rescued the Israelites from, Paul would say to the Colossians referring to all of us who would be saved, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. A domain of darkness. In a similar statement to the church in Galatia, Paul would say that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. There is a present evil age. Sometimes we get vivid, stark reminders of it. You know, I read an article a week or so ago, maybe some of you have seen similar news, about a rapper who hired a brand to modify some Nike shoes. Now, I just read that Nike is suing the company who altered their own shoes. I believe they won. But Nike is saying they had no part in it, but the shoes were sold in exactly six hundred and sixty six pairs. The shoe itself has a Satanist pentagram and an inverted cross and a drop of real human blood in their soul, with each pair priced at exactly at one thousand and eighteen, a reference to Luke ten eighteen, which records Jesus' words I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. All six hundred and sixty six pairs sold out in minutes. Now, there's a story behind the wrapper, and I'm not here to tell you of that news story, only that this demonstrates, and I will say vividly, and this is not everyday news, of course, but there seems to be not a present age devoid of God, but antagonistic to God and His ways. Paul would paint it rather bleakly in Romans 1. Now, in order for there to be good news, there has to be bad news, right? Romans 1, verse 18, Paul says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's major right there. Don't miss that. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. This very truth is proven... When one hears these words and doubts that there is a dark domain that people without Jesus belong to. Unrighteousness suppresses truth. When how Paul is about to describe the domain of darkness and people just scoff, judge, ridicule his words and do everything except believe him. (laughs) There is antagonism to God's truth. Unrighteousness suppresses truth. Paul would go on and say, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Do you hear that? People are without Excuse. In other words, there are no victims here. There are only willfully ignorant people. People who have chance after chance after chance of hearing what the reality is, how the world really is, and they scoff, laugh, doubt, dismiss, minimize when the existence of God is so evident. Paul even seems to suggest here that the reality of God is so inborn, which isn't hard to believe for me. Because any semi-perusal of world history and social studies reveals that practically every tribe known to man worshipped a deity. The reality of God is inborn. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts Were darkened. Our world, antagonistic, a dark domain, sees the losing of belief in God as progress, not as regression and depravity as Paul seems to believe it is here. Claiming to be wise, this is progress, there's no God, we're wiser. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Paul's talking about ancient pagan Gentiles here who threw out the reality of Yahweh, but perhaps Paul goes as far back as Noah in the ark, and his sons left after the ark landed and pagan culture started cropping up. However, in our day and age, even atheists take up worship of other lower gods. They just don't call it gods. They call it causes. They call it lifestyles. They call it philosophies. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Their men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Paul doesn't seem to be ashamed to say these things. It happened in his day. It happens in our day. And this is God's word about the matter. And he doesn't say this because he's intolerant, homophobic, or a bigot. He says it because it's true. And he says it likely hoping to convict and bring about repentance. Verse 28 would go on and say, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud those who practice them. Now, before you say, Yay, hey, let's get on the judgmental bandwagon, I dare you to read in Romans 2 and be convicted yourselves. But the reality is, is there is a domain of darkness. And people might look at Paul's description here and say, well, that's rather negative. That's a little skewed. He's making straw man argument. He's he's building a definition of a world through a very negative lens. And the Bible, the Word of God, God Himself would say, no, it's a realistic picture. Sin is bad. Sin takes prisoners. Sin is horrible and sin is darkness. And about this darkness, it's blinding. It suppresses truth. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul tells the church in Corinth that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Sin, this dark domain, is a prison camp complete with psychological warfare. This is how the world is. This is how the world always will be. People will always be greedy and corrupt and dark. The best thing you can do is just deal with it, cope with it, get ahead, survive. Get your just desserts. You only live once. But that's not the truth. The truth is that there is a dark domain that has got a hold on the world, but God has rescued us. A rescue has occurred and it's nothing less than the power of God that can redeem us from this darkness, from the dark domain, from the sins that ensnare us and keeps us in unbelief and ignorance in our sins, in our downward spiral. God has rescued us. And then a transfer happens. We read, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, says Paul. Back in 2 Corinthians 4 where we just looked at about how the God of this age blinds the minds of unbelievers, he then says in verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know what this means? As much as I wish it was, this is out of my hands. This is out of my ability for anybody to receive the gospel. It has to be a reception on your behalf and God's initiation. It's out of my hands. I can just give the truth. But by the grace of God, by your surrender, you need to be open to receive his truth. And I believe He can give it to you. In fact, He has given it to you. The Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's given us the Word of God. We open on the well-known phrase of Jesus, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What's interesting is what leads up to this saying of Jesus. We read in context, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Did you hear the progression in that? If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And as if this is a result of continuing in Christ's word, because it is, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is Christ's word, the word of God, that transfers us from the domain of darkness. And as a Christian, let me just say, sometimes I'll confess I have a tendency to revert back to that domain of darkness. Romans 6 warns against this, that if we've died to sin, we should not continue to sin. Presupposing that this is a possibility, of course, you can continue to sin. In verses 12 and 13 of that chapter, Paul makes outright commands. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. See, the domain of darkness knows that a transference occurs by the power of God. And you could say that this domain sends out troops to round up the escapees. Just as the German forces in World War II sent out planes to shoot down those leaving with the rescue at Dunkirk. So the domain of darkness that is part of a losing war does not go without a fight. So if we continue in God's Word and if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. The transfer is from a domain of darkness To the kingdom of the Son. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It's not just a personal change that we undergo. We opened in verse 13 of Paul likely using that biblical image of deliverance of rescue of when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. Was that just a personal salvation? Was that just something where the average Joe Israelite said, you know, I had a personal experience with God. He's really changed my life around. No, it was a communal salvation. This was a transference from one kingdom to another. Jesus brings the same sort of salvation. Yes, it is one that has intensely personal ramifications. We will talk about that in a few minutes. But Paul has said that God has moved us, has rescued us, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Among the first words concerning Jesus' ministry, indeed his forerunner John the Baptist, according to Matthew, was in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. This is repent of sins, turn back from sins, stop living in the domain of darkness because what? Because a kingdom is drawing near. Jesus brings an invasion into the domain of darkness. Jesus is on the offense and Jesus speaks about this kingdom throughout his ministry. And like you or me, we're so prone to seeing kingdoms come with violence, force, Super visible pomp, circumstances, armies and rulers. But what does Jesus say about his kingdom? Luke 17 tells us about an exchange that he had with some religious leaders of his day. When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. If you were here last week, we kind of talked about this, that the man Jesus, politically speaking, was part of an oppressed people, Jews, under the dominion of Rome at that time. And I asked the question, whose kingdom lasted? Such an ironic statement for us. I mentioned this last week, too. What did Jesus say to Pilate, the governor of Judea, who ultimately allowed his execution? My kingdom is not of this world. And friends, today we have lots and lots and lots of Christians sprinkled throughout the world, all giving their allegiance to King Jesus, while the Roman Empire of Jesus' day is non-existent. The kingdom, not of this world, the kingdom that invaded with King Jesus thrives. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about how Christians will resurrect with new bodies. Paul makes this claim on the resurrection of Jesus in the same chapter, stating that over 500 people had been eyewitness to Jesus walking around after he resurrected. But then Paul uses this kingdom language in verses 23 through 26. He says, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, that is Christ who died but rose again by his own power, And then afterward, at his coming, that is his final coming when he consummates history as we know it, those who belong to Christ, Christians, will rise too. Then comes the end when he, that is Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Christ is reigning right now over his kingdom. You and I serve and love and loyal, are loyal to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus whose kingdom is in our midst, whose kingdom is not of this world, and it's the kingdom of God that transfers us from the dark domain. What does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? Dark and light are symbols used especially by John but also by Paul to use the same author we're reading from in Colossians. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. See, the kingdom of the sun is one that remains in the light. It's one that doesn't surrender to the domain of darkness. Some of us can so easily and sneakily have this mentality. If you can't beat them, join them. And, what's, and it's sneaky when we try to fight the world with the world's ways, Right? I'll give you an example. I don't like that political party. They're loud, greedy, corrupt, sneaky, vindictive. And then we champion groups of our own thinking who use the same tactics to try and beat them. Because we at least agree with the crooks who think like us. Jesus showed up in a, in a oppressed people and he ended up being crucified really by his own church group in his own nation, though he was innocent. How many of you are ready to do that? The kingdom of the Son is one where humility wins more than pride. Where service prolongs the kingdom more than coercion. Where death can bring life. And where light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The kingdom of the Son. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have Redemption. Strong's Concordance would say about this word redemption, a release affected by payment of ransom. A Bible translation I've been reading from time to time, the Revised English Bible would say, through whom our release is secured. I like that. I talked about this, that sometimes you and I still like to revert back into that domain of darkness. Darkness. There's a reason that that Paul has to encourage, exhort, and command his listeners, don't do that. (laughs) Walk as if you're in the light. You know, how can Paul say that? How can he say that to us? Whenever he says in other places, like Ephesians 2, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know the thing about dead people? They don't seem to have any say in the matter about their state. I can't go to the cemetery out there and tell the corpse, what are you doing in there? Why don't you go to work? Do a job. Spend some time with your family. It's kind of a fruitless endeavor. And dead is the way that Paul refers to people here. Dead in their trespasses and sins. Trespassing and sinning is the default mode. It's not going to change. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, in the domain of darkness. That's what Paul is talking about. But he already said it here, and listen here in verse 3. We all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. You hear this? Sin takes prisoners. It makes them dead. It makes them bent on doing evil. But the transference, the freeing, the redemption that Christ brings makes it to where Paul can now hand out commands like, hey, stop sinning. This can't happen by people who have not received or accepted the rescue. They're dead. Here's the illustration. The civilian fleet come to the beaches of Dunkirk and rescue the Allied armies. Before the rescue arrived, the armies on the shores had no way of escape. They were as good as dead. After the rescue, they're welcome to find like-minded idiots and board a boat and go back to the beach. Heck, they're welcome to say no thank you when the rescue arrives for them in the first place. But Christ has accomplished redemption. And through Him and Him alone, our release is secured. We're welcome to put to death our sins instead of being dead in our sins. Friends, right now, this day, in the hearing of these words, you have everything you need to be saved. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. You have everything you need to leave the domain of darkness. You have everything you need to enter the kingdom of the Son because your release is secured. And your sins are forgiven. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, forgiveness, I think, is a lost concept in the domain of darkness. It's something that's not thought about too much. In fact, what's thought about is sticking it to our enemies. Cancellation culture. You're not forgiven, you're done. I've made the moral judgment, there's no place for you. Christy and I have been watching a show, and we call it The Show of Bad Decisions. I'm not going to give you the real name. Because the main characters always seem to make very bad decisions. And one of those shows that you can only watch because you're too invested in the characters now. You can't stop. I shouldn't watch it. It's a train wreck. I'm not saying this is an okay thing to do. I'm a sinner. But in one episode, a cop and a clergyman are talking. They're best friends. The cop is on the far side of an affair he had against his wife. As I said, the show of bad decisions. Bad decisions. But the cop is still beating himself up. And finally, with keen insight as to what's happening, the clergyman says, I forgive you. You're forgiven. And even though it wasn't the clergyman's place to forgive the cop, it was the vocalization of it. It was, this person knows what I've done and it's wrong and he doesn't hold it against me. He forgives me. Listen, the Bible tells us this. God... Knows us. Some places it says he knows us better than we know ourselves, which is scary because I know enough of myself. But the Bible is full of this, and perhaps most relevant, and how Jesus accomplished this at the cross. What did Jesus say on the cross about the people who ridiculed him to the end? Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. The Father's heart towards you is forgiveness. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, what sins you've committed, don't give me the, well, if the pastor only knew what I've done, to which I respond with two things. If you only knew what I have done. And secondly, God does know what you have done. And the psalmist King David writes, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. And with all that knowledge, God forgives David, the rapist and the murderer. And he forgives those who would ridicule him on the cross. I love what Paul says. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For who? The ungodly. Two verses later, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are forgiven. There is nothing you could have ever done, ever will do, that will in any way disqualify you from this kingdom of God. Some of you might be saying, well, what about that creepy passage about the unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about? And the point is this. If you're committing the unforgivable sin, you could care less about what I'm saying, and you could care less about being accepted by God. That's the point. If you're wondering, though, am I forgiven? Am I invited to this kingdom? Yes. And nothing you've ever done will keep you from this. Your release is secured. Your sins are forgiven. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're not at a beach surrounded by enemy armies and rescue looks dim. But maybe you are slowly realizing that you've been held prisoner in the domain of darkness. And every now and then it's like you catch glimpses of light and wonder, is this all there is? Is there something more? Is there a better kingdom somewhere else? There is. There is. And what you need to do is lay into the word of the Lord. You need to continue in the word of the Lord, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, it's amazing whenever you peel back the reality of what's taken place. It's amazing whenever we get a fresh insight in our world. It can be both very darkening, but also very enlightening at the same time. We see how high the stakes are. That sin takes prisoners. There's a spiritual warfare at play that we never want to catch glimpses of, but when we do, it scares us. Father, my hope and my prayer is that we have catched a glimpse of the more miraculous, the more astounding rescue that you have done through Jesus, who has freed us from the dark domain and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son. And Father, in you our release is secure In you, our sins are forgiven. Thank you that you have forgiven our sins. Thank you that there is nothing, nothing that we have ever done or ever will do that will separate us from the love that you have towards us in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as we go about the rest of our week, that you would help us to be living into this reality, to be inviting others to the kingdom of God, because it's a much better kingdom to be a part of. We love you. We thank you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words and use them actively in our hearts and lives. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday.